0: Thanks for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. Once again, I'm here to talk about International Women's Day that was recognised recently on March 8th, this time with a long-term advocate who raises her own voice on equality to support others. But first, time to remind you to all go to your videos. Rotor is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rotor makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rotor logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. So welcome to the show, control management and label owner, founder of Women in Control and now chair of AIM, (laughs) Nadia Khan. Welcome.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming to the Halley in Shoreditch. Um, We're doing this in, in, in person.
1: Thanks for allowing me to get out of the
0: house. Yeah, well, thanks for agreeing so I could come out of the house and meet with people and it's just such a relief and a joy. It really is. It is a joy to see
1: somebody in real life. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Uh, Yeah, and and, and these these interviews always work so much better when we're doing it that way. Um, But first of all, congratulations on the recent appointment. That's awesome. Uh, So I just want to ask very quickly, first of all, because you've been on the board for a while of AIM, uh, Association of Independent Music. Did you ever think that you'd end up being chairperson?
1: Absolutely not. No, really? Yeah, I joined the board in 2017 and, you know, never, didn't really know too much about boards at that point in my career. But I thought it'd be a good thing to do to kind of learn more about the wider industry. And I never would have million years thought that I would be chair. But I guess it's a really important part of my journey and, you know, why what I've done with Women in Control as well and kind of practicing what I preach. So I really thought it was really important for me to to step up um, and go for it.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. Well, speaking of your journey, uh, let's start there. So that's a pretty sort of high accolade, for, I think, for anyone to be, you know, given the trust of, of that type of position. But how did you get there? Like, where did it all begin for you?
1: So I've been working in the industry for around 19 years. Um, I started out in music PR. When I was at school I always knew I wanted to come back to London and get into the music industry and my old media studies teacher had given me a book that had written down all the different roles that you could have in uh, the music industry like what an A&R does, what a tour manager does, what a manager does, what a PR does and it just really resonated with me and I just fell in love with the idea of working in the music industry and I fell in love with two roles specifically PR and management so I made a plan to finish uni and come to back to London and get into the industry. So that was my plan. Uh, I wanted to uh, set set myself like a 10 year plan to kind of start in PR first, build up some contacts and then move into management. So came to London, started applying for loads and loads of jobs was, getting nowhere with anything you know um you know come from a low income background as well so when I moved to London uh I had to get a part-time job and a weekend job to kind of supplement myself um uh, because I eventually got my foot in the door through some work experience in the industry so I got my first work experience placement in a really small music PR company it was a two-week placement but I went in with the mentality of you know I'm going to go there and like they're going to give me a job, so I'm not going to leave. So it was like three months later before they actually gave me my first fully paid job within the industry. So
0: how did you find that um, that work placement? How did how, did you just see it in an advert or?
1: Yeah, I was just scouring and lurking and searching online for months and months. You know, I really thought that I would just be able to get an entry level job into the industry, and it was so tough. And I had to. Re- I realized quickly that. I was going to have to go to work experience. I was going to have to go to an unpaid placement. And yeah, I just saw this uh, two-week unpaid work experience placement in this boutique, small PR company. And I was like, that sounds great. Let me go for it. And went in for the interview, got it. And like I said, I went in and just, I made myself indispensable within those two weeks. So two weeks came up and they didn't ask me to leave. And I was like, I'm going to stay. And I just stayed and stayed and stayed until I plucked up the courage to ask my boss at the time and say, do you want to keep me on? Have you got a job for me? And then they did offer me a job. Oh, and fantastic. That was like my first break into the industry. And it was really exciting because um, I started doing a lot of pop campaigns. Um, so they kind of set up a new division within the PR company, mm-hmm. looking after different pop clients and boy bands. And I was going...
0: Anyone of note?
1: Um, that was, I was, They were always the support acts. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like I went on the Blue Tour, but it was the support act of Blue. <laughs> I was always working with the ones that were kind of, just about to break through Um, but you know there was like triplets that were signed to Warners there was loads of boy bands Mm -hmm. at that time and then I kind of um, went off into some dance music projects as well so I did like a lot of Ministry of Sound early releases doing the PR for that so um, I was doing a lot of really commercial stuff I did Matt Goss's PR campaign yeah his comeback campaign as well when he um, came back which was incredible it was really really good fun but I was living in East London and at that time Uh, you know, we're talking like 20 odd years ago, it was kind of the start of grime was really bubbling in East London. I was starting to hear about these MCs that were around living in the area and I was watching Channel U, which was, you know, uh, a, a station where People were making their own videos and the technology had just started to come out where, you know, people were able to own cameras and film their own content and they were making their own music videos. And that was a real game changer. I was watching content and just seeing, you know, just guys from around London just making their own music videos. It was incredible. Um, and time. what and what
0: platform was that on? Was that terrestrial TV? Yeah, it was Channel yeah. U. Yeah, it was one of right. yeah, it was like I a was... music
1: uh, TV channels. So it was like MTV base, and then you had like right, Channel okay.
0: U. So, a satellite channel.
1: It was a satellite channel. Right. They um, it's owned by Universal now, but they brought it back actually last year for uh, projects. But it, uh, they changed the name. They rebranded it to AKA. Um, uh, so you might have heard of it. Yeah, I
0: think so. Yeah. So yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. And then after after this uh, this work experience turned job role what happened then
1: well i was still in pr and i was at home watching Mm -hmm. channel U Mm -hmm. as i did and i saw this incredible um video come on and it was pow and the energy was just so it just blew me away it was 10 different mcs you know they were all from different crews working together for the first time and the energy in the song, just I just loved it. So I really wanted to work the project and I knew that it just got signed. So I spoke to my boss and he reached out to the record label and I ended up getting the PR campaign wow. for that song. Um, yeah. Wow,
0: that's, am- that, that's amazing. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that that's a great example of how just an idea can turn into something real.
1: Yeah, I think I've always been driven by my passions, and right. I think you just, I, it was, it just felt, you know, you I wanted to be involved in it. I felt like there was something big happening here, and I felt connected to it because it was coming out a lot of it from East London, where I was originally born and where I was living at the time as well. So I wanted to be involved, and yeah, I reached out, and that's how I met my first client that I took on for management, who I'm still managing. Now, 16 years later. And who's that? That's Lethal Bizzle. There we go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted you to say it, <laughs> okay. that's all. Uh, Very good. Okay. And so, uh, but it didn't stop there, did it? So, ma- ma- any anything more you want to say about management? I mean.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, when I came to London, I had this plan that I was going to do PR for a good number of years, build up my contacts, and move into management. But having met Bizzle, I really believed in him and his like where he wanted to take his career. So I kind of kept putting myself forward for a manager and I'd never managed anybody before. So he was a bit like, are you sure? (laughs) Can you do this? I was like, absolutely, I can do this. Um, But he ended up getting signed to another record label and they actually stepped in and was like, absolutely not. She can't, she doesn't have any experience. Mm. We're going to bring another manager on board. So I had to work really hard for the next few months. Um I started shadowing the manager, going to all the meetings. Again, really annoying, made myself super indispensable, mm-hmm. took everything on and three months later, you know, I was pretty much doing the job and the other manager stepped away and um I got a well uh, I spoke to Bizzle. I was like, Well can I be a manager now? Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. I and he said, Well you know what, if you can get me a live agent, then You've got the job, so he kind of set me a challenge to do. Okay, um, and I got him a live agent within a couple of weeks and secured myself my first management client.
0: That's amazing. Uh, and so the, the the manager that you were you were shadowing for a while. I mean, how, was that was that a pleasant experience or was that something that um, wasn't and they, and they didn't really want you around and like they would do anything to try and get out? How
1: how did that manifest itself? The management shadowing the manager was a great experience. Um, I think it was just the record label were just the ones that just didn't want me involved because they didn't believe in me, but Mm -hmm. the manager was really happy to have an extra pair of hands and um, that I was just writing everything down and I was just making myself available to do everything, reminding them of everything. Um, So that was a really great experience, but I wanted the actual job and I knew that I was doing a lot of the work and I knew the vision, so I felt like I was driving a lot of it anyway. I felt like it was just... um, you know, you have to have the big name and you have to have the big company behind you to be taken seriously at that time.
0: Well, I guess also the record is investing money into this artist and they want to make sure that, the, you know, the, the other stuff that they don't do because they're not the management, they are the record company, is, is going to be looked after properly. So you can sort of understand their point of view, but I, th- I just I love that scenario of them sort of, whether they allowed you to sort of have that experience of shadowing someone or not, whether they saw it ending up like that. But the fact that that worked out the way it did, I mean, what a... What a great sort of on-ramp into that role for you.
1: Definitely. But I don't think that, yeah, labels should have that say, you know, that it doesn't happen nowadays. I think a lot of managers and artist relationships come from um, friends and Mm -hmm. close associates with um, artists who don't necessarily have a lot of experience in the industry sometimes. But, you know, management is built on trust and it is built on that passion and that drive and that vision as well. So, um, you know, I do think uh yeah you, i don't think people should be judged like that you know when they're starting out i think it's also a struggle for people to get taken seriously in their careers when they're starting out so
0: yeah okay very good well we'll we'll, we'll come on to some of the other the things that you're doing in, in a second but i just wanted to just ask you about international women's day I, i'm just curious i mean it's obviously it's a it's a thing on the calendar now you know and For somebody like yourself, how did you sort of think about it and prepare for it this year? Because I'm sure this is always a great opportunity for you to have your voice amplified by by the event itself?
1: Yeah I think it's great that there's a day to highlight and spotlight issues around women but obviously myself and you know so many other women in the industry we celebrate women every day and I think there's so much work that needs to be done so I think again it's just not about just being performative and just doing things for one day like you know last week or you know after International just following after International Women's Day um, there was a number of events that happened straight after that which kind of illustrated the importance of it not just being a focus for one day because you know it's about taking those issues seriously so when I was looking to celebrate International Women's Day I wanted to do something really meaningful so I decided to focus on the gender pay gap and use the day to really highlight those issues because that's a big issue in the industry that doesn't get discussed about and it's not about just brushing that under the carpet and saying you know, all different companies saying, oh, we celebrate women this day. It's actually, well, what are you actually going to do within your, your organisations? And how do you treat the women that work for you? How well do you pay them? How well are they supported through their careers or when they go off to have children? So I think it's about having those real conversations. But it's really great, obviously, to have um, that platform and to have people's ears and to have um, it be acknowledged, you know, as as a actual day. So that's great, but using it in the right way.
0: Yeah and and I mean as a sort of an extension I guess of that you've you've created this thing called Women in Control tell us how that came about and and kind of what it what it does today and how, how does it function
1: So I started Women in Control up around 3 years ago it started up really naturally and organically just something on my Instagram page I wanted to celebrate other women in the industry and it, it was kind of part and parcel of my own journey I felt that I was at a point in my career when I had been doing So much work for so many years, but I didn't feel I was recognised. I didn't feel that um, people knew me in the industry. I kind of felt invisible when I went to a lot of shows because I would be ignored or assumed to be an assistant or a groupie. And I was really interested into why this was happening consistently to me, you know. Um, And I also noticed that other women in the industry weren't getting spoken about uh, the same way that their male peers were. And they weren't getting uh, promoted as readily as well. So I thought, you know, that it was something that was important that first of all, I needed to start shouting about my achievements, but other women should be doing that too. So I decided to use my platform and start promoting other women in the industry. So I started just posting their pictures and just, you know, writing stories about why they were great to work with, why I think they're incredible and just trying to encourage that culture of us as women shouting out our achievements, empowering each other and celebrating what we do.
0: And and today, I mean, it has its own destination. There's websites. We'll we'll talk about some of those things in a second. But uh, but it's just interesting to sort of hear how it's come from. You know, people talk about platforms, and I think sometimes people think, you know, that means I've got to go and build something. You probably have it already. It's just going to be your Instagram account or whatever, right?
1: You know. Definitely, I think it's. I didn't think about building a platform like straight away it all just kind of came together naturally and I've just let it grow naturally as well and the fact that it's grown naturally and so big and got so um got so many people involved in it and has such a reach I think really shows that there's real issues there that need to be addressed and people really kind of attach to it and feel like it's doing a really important work so it's just growing naturally but yeah you do feel in the beginning that you need to set a website up or do this and I didn't do any of that I just let it grow naturally just started on Instagram and then started doing panels because that kind of felt the natural way for me to grow so I started connecting with some different brands and using their platform to kind of get the messages that I wanted to get out which was breaking down those stereotypes like I said it started from my Instagram but if you look at my Instagram page you might have thought oh you know her job and her life looks incredible. She's travelling the world, she's going to these TV shows, she's doing incredible things. And I really wanted to break that down and speak about the real experience as a woman in a male-dominated job and hopefully try and help other women um, through that too.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, obviously things like Instagram, people talk about Instagram life. The life that you have on Instagram and the way that you live it that way, um, and you only ever tell the good stuff. So I think this that is just a really, really, really super interesting exactly. sort of uh, reflection on, on the real world, I suppose. Yeah. yeah no, fascinating. Really, really interesting. So last time I, I covered uh, International Women's Day on the, on the podcast was with Lara Baker, uh, a long term friend of mine. And we specifically talked a lot about the gender pay gap, which you've mentioned, because um, there was a, a Music Business Worldwide report that they kind of put out at the time, um, just you know, hard facts, hard stats. Now, a lot of what you're doing on, on your uh, Women in Control website is producing your own reports, and the most recent one is Women in Radio. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, so I, last year I think with lockdown happening kind of had a lot of uh, projects kind of cancel, so um, and a lot more time on my hand for the first time in my career, I run my own business, and first of all I was panicking, like, what should I do? And then I actually started to embrace the time I had and say, you know what, you've built Women in Control up. You've had it going for nearly two years now. Now is the time that you have the free time to invest into it. And I really think that data research is such an important tool to help tell the story and break down the issues and also give us a real baseline to kind of start being able to track what's going on in the industry and get those issues taken seriously as well. So I've done um, a number of reports now. The most recent one is Women in Radio Um, In that report, we spoke to and interviewed over 100 women that work in radio as their main job um, at BBC, Bauer, Global, Independent and Community Stations. And it was a really stressful harrowing experience kind of hearing the stories to be honest. Sure. You know, and I think a lot of the work that I've been doing with Women in Control has been that very heavy, just actually hearing directly from women that are working in the industry um their barriers or the challenges that they faced and the fact that these things still exist and are still going on in the industry and many feel powerless. You know, we had to hide the identity of a, a lot of the women or all of the women that gave statements um just to protect their jobs and their livelihood but you know, over 84% of women said they felt it was harder for women to progress in their careers 60% said that you know, having children has a negative effect impact on their um, job 39% said that if they'd felt unsafe at work Um, you know, 60% had uh, experienced sexist comments in the workplace. So there's a lot of issues there that, you know, need to be spoken about and need to be addressed and highlighted to understand why is this still happening and what can we do to change it.
0: And sadly, I think a lot of people are aware of that stuff and it's not a shock. I mean, that in itself is terrible. This is sort of has echoes of of the conversation I had with Lara about it. And so we're a year on. Yeah i guess a year on i mean i mean how do you how do you feel like is it is it progressing sort of since you've been in so you've been in industry nearly 20 years you've obviously presumably had a lot of those experiences yourself directly is it getting any better
1: i'd like to think it is getting better but i think we're just actually in a place where we're speaking more openly about it so i think we're only at the start of making change i feel like you know like you said um we, everyone kind of knows that these things go on and the fact that we really was unspoken, we didn't really feel comfortable to speak about it, we didn't really feel safe to speak about it and now more people are feeling a bit more comfortable to tackle these issues and, and speak about it. So that's the thing that I see that's getting better but I also feel like, yeah, it, a lot of women are, you know, getting an angry, we're kind of fed up of, I feel like, you know, we've, kind of gone through our careers or you know being made to feel that we are now in an equal society or you know back in the day women didn't have rights but Mm -hmm. actually it's seeming that there's a lot of systems in place that have been built up a lot of organizations have been built up with um you know these from from way back when and Those systems are made for men and made by men without women in mind and those still exist and those really have an impact on, you know, women and how we get involved in workplace and how we can progress our careers. So it's really about breaking all those down and having those real honest and open conversations. But I feel like we're just at the start of um, change because we're able to talk about it more openly now.
0: Right. OK, so we've opened the gates and now we have just got to charge through. Right. it It feels like progress at least.
1: Yeah, I feel there's a big movement happening. I feel like there's some big moments that's going to happen over the next year or so with women. I Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, the industry needs and is going to have a Believe It's Me Too moment. You know, when I opened up Women in Control to membership, I had over 800 um, people sign up across from all across the industry at different levels. And when I started to speak to different members, we had different member group sessions. You know, sexual harassment is something that came up in every single session and you know it was like I said it was a lot of it was very heavy for me to deal with but it's um there's something happening I think it's definitely gonna you know change in the industry in terms of these stories coming out now
0: we've had a few already haven't we and there's been some pretty sort of high profile ones that um, fell off the back of happened now in Hollywood this industry isn't alone sadly you know it is just a general societal problem i think as much as anything else important to uh to do what you're doing which i think with some of the other reports it really really focuses on certain aspects because it was interesting the way you described how you saw data and how data can be used to explain things one of my takeaways from looking at all of your reports and i'm a bit of a data nerd is that they're really clear super clear like so well organized the way that you break things down. To make a statement it isn't just that sort of slightly you know sometimes you look at a graph and you're like i i think i know what it says but i don't really understand what it's really telling me because you sort of categorize things and you break things down and they are just so clear it's like this and this does that look right to you no it doesn't right okay let's go on to the next one uh, so just congratulations well done um so so some <laughs> of the other reports so uh so seat at the table, which. Okay, so when did you write that one? Because obviously Seat at the Table is an obvious sort of, you know, uh, (laughs) chair-related aspect to your recent (laughs) announcement. Um, when When did you put that one together?
1: I put that Seat at the Table report together in July 2020, and that was just coming, you know, off the back, like I said, when we were in lockdown... There was, you know, civil rights movement happening across the world. Mm-hmm. There was the tragic murder of George Floyd, which led to the Black Lives Matter movement, the show must be paused a uh, movement, which, you know, uh, came to the UK across the music industry. And I felt that there was a lot of statements being made across the industry about diversity and the importance of diversity. And I guess a lot of those statements made me angry, if I'm being completely honest, because I didn't want to... You know, I was happy that this was becoming an issue that people were talking about, but I was getting annoyed and frustrated with what, not wanting to see performative statements and wanting to see actual change within the industry. And I also wanted to break down BAME. So I myself, I'm mixed race, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and I don't think people understand how vast and wide encompassing the definition of BAME is, I think it's a really problematic term and a lot of organisations in the industry were talking about how diverse they were um, in terms of BAME, saying that they've got great BAME representation and specifically when we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, it wasn't an appropriate response and I wanted to break that down as well. So with the Seat of the Table report, I um, initially just looked at the um, 12 of the key music trade bodies. Mm. And
0: why yeah. and trade bodies? I was curious about that. I mean, it, it makes for, you know, maybe it's just... Was it kind of just an easier sort of target, I suppose, because it has quite a good cross section of the industry, but it's a, a, a sample that isn't too numerous but representative. It, was that is that roughly where I was just really curious about that. That was all.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I just I felt like trade bodies are there to set the policies within the industry. I saw a lot of them making the statements. They're there to represent different members. So you're correct. Obviously, you know, you've got different trade bodies representing different parts of the industry, whether it's musicians, whether it's um, the live industry, whether it's record labels, music publishers, managers, um, independents, etc. So I felt like It was kind of covering every single angle. And like I said, they're there to be setting the policies and setting that standards. I thought it would be a good place to start Mm. to create actual change. And I wanted to see what the makeup was like within their senior teams the CEOs the chair positions and um the boardroom as well and kind of break that down and I did it with a, a focus on gender but also an intersectional breakdown specifically focused on black women because at that time I felt that that data was really relevant and really important you know if we look at the history of music and um you know having worked with black musicians from the start of my career and having seen um you know really systemic racism um being subjected to my artist, you know, whether it's been a really racist abuse at festivals or whether it's been, just been completely banned from um, performing in by councils across the UK when there's no valid reason why Mm -hmm. um, songs being canceled, you know, um, even just the fact of just, you know, not being able to book mainstream TV show slots, or even when I'm, we're going onto mainstream TV to be told by producers really condescending and patronizing things. Oh, oh, you know, are they going to behave? Do they know how to act? And just these really shocking things that you have to deal with. Um, and, you know, like I said, a lot of it was driven from because of my frustrations through my experience in the industry and wanting to, I really believe that if we get the right people around the table at the top in the organisations, that they will make the right decisions and they will make the right change um, across the music industry. So, yeah, the report kind of broke that down um, and I think, you know, I think it was really interesting to see a lot of those organizations side by side, um, because that comparative um, data had never been done before. I think, you know, everyone kind of works in their own little silos and kind of looks at themselves. So that was really interesting. You know, I think um, looking at the boardrooms, I think that was 34 percent of women sitting um, in, in boards, but some boards were equal And then some had really, really bad representation of women. You know, some boards only had one woman out of 16 possible seats um, in PPL. And PRS had only three women out of 25 possible seats. So there were some really shocking numbers. And then when we looked at black women, it was even worse. There was only five black women sitting across all of the boards. um, And that was out of a possible 122 seats, which was shocking. Um, You know, with the chair positions, I didn't realise that... There weren't many female chairs out there. There was only one female chair across all of the trade bodies, which, you know, again, you know, going back to the, the what we discussed earlier, that's why I felt it was so important for me to stand up and, and be counted because I've been working with these organisations, some of them, uh, most of them. But, you know, obviously when you do this kind of reporting, you do upset certain people. So. I was going <laughs> to ask about that.
0: So, because, I mean, I guess some of this information is publicly available on websites etc but did you take take the approach of contacting them and saying I'm doing this I I, I want to know what's going on like can you can you help me answer these questions who have you got here who have you got here was it like that and how did they react if you did
1: I didn't approach anybody up front. I decided to do my own research. I Mm -hmm. didn't know what I was going to do with that research initially. I wasn't planning to put it out necessarily. Um, But then I started speaking to a lot of people across the industry. And I think that that's been a really important factor of change is the fact that so many of us are collaboratively speaking and sharing information across the industry. So once I started speaking to people about it, they were like shocked and saying that this needs to come out. And I took a lot of advice um, from various people in the industry to get people's opinions. I like to get people's opinions and say, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think about this? And um, listen to everyone's opinion and then just make my own informed decision. So some people were saying, yes, go to, go to them and tell them up front. And other people were like, no, just put it out. So I had to kind of go away for a few weeks and think about it. But I decided that I was going to uh, you know, put all the information together. It was all publicly available information and um, just release it. And kind of have the conversations after the fact.
0: Okay, good. In that case, the question is: How did they react? Like, did did you have phone calls? Did you have emails with people saying thank you for highlighting this, or you know, what are you doing? Or these are there are good reasons why it's like this. I mean, how did they? What were their reactions like?
1: Um, a few people were upset with me when I released it. You know, I sent it out the night before um, I released it. Okay, so I gave them a few hours' notice uh-huh. that it was coming out, and I mean, I wasn't thinking about. Um, how big it would be I didn't know what the reaction would be I thought it was quite a niche um, report in my mind I had made you know social assets for everyone to share and I'd sent it to around uh, 70 women um, that I know in the industry and said let's share this tomorrow so I didn't know how people were going to react and honestly I was fully prepared to be cancelled at that point I was like you know people might not work with me again because of oh, this wow. report you know and that is a, that's fear. a risk yeah it yeah. is a risk but that's a fear people have and that's yeah. why people don't speak out mm-hmm. but i also think that you know because i'm independent i run my own business i'm not attached to you know directly to any organization i'm not on some payroll i feel like i'm um, it was a little bit safer for me but it was still a risk for me to do it because like i said people might not want to work with me again and I was challenging people.
0: Because there is that, there is that challenge with any sort of, you know, uh, advocate for anything that if they're so outspoken that they become defined by that voice and, and people forget that, I mean, you are in your own right a businesswoman, you are a manager, you are a record label boss. It's like, these are, that's the other stuff, but then this, you know, it, I mean, that must be a real, I mean, you've articulated it very well, so I'm just really just, um, you know, it, just wanting to talk to you about it really, I suppose, because I appreciate that. Like, that's that's such a big thing to do. I mean, it, 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 is it a constant? Is it, does it ever go away? Does, do you ever feel like, well, now I've sort of got my, established my platform in, the, in this sort of narrative that I can just keep going? Or do you, do you continually feel a bit like, I'm going to upset people here. This could have a negative impact on my, my livelihood.
1: I think it's, yeah, I think it was interesting in the first report. I think, you know, I might have got people's backs up, but I think I had conversations with whoever was open to having conversations and I genuinely offered my services for free to say, I will help you. I will give you some advice. I can connect you. Don't tell me that you can't find people. Don't tell me that you can't find great women for the board. I'm not going to accept that. I know great women. I can connect you with women if you want to. So, you know, that was the conversations that I had. And also with, you know, different CEOs or, you know, senior teams across the organizations, I think letting them know that I'm not coming I, although I'm putting out a report that's calling them out, I'm not coming from an attackful place. I'm coming from a place um, to create solutions and help to create change. So most of the organisations were calling me up and saying, you know, we want to change, which was really encouraging. Um, and we want help to change as well. So I've been working with quite a few of the organisations just helping to um, find different candidates and support different candidates. And, you know, you're changing the system. There has There's a lot of... There's a lot of eligibility rules. There's a lot of governance that goes in behind the boardroom. There's a, lot, you know, some people have been serving on boards for over 50 years because there's unlimited terms on boards, which is you know a, a real issue. There's
0: <laughs> a, a Russian president that's trying to stay on forever, isn't he? Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, but but almost to the same point. It's like that, that's no good. You need that. You need that. You need that change. You need that to keep revolving because if you you know, stating the obvious here, I think, but if you don't have people in the room with not their agenda in, a, in any negative sense, but just coming from a point of view or a point of experience where they can articulate how maybe what somebody else has says isn't quite the whole truth or the complete picture or correct or whatever, then it'll never change. It'll never evolve. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's just such, it's just so interesting talking to folks like yourself. You're so brave.
1: I think it's that, fantastic. you know, I think within boardrooms as well, there's like a kind of, Consensus, or you know, this image that's put out there that you're—it's that what they talk about is just superior and really high-level stuff, and you're not ready for it. And um, you know, it's a lot of the same people sitting around the room. And I think what's really important is to have that diversity of thought, that diversity of background, that diversity of experience, because that's actually what's going to enrich those conversations. If you have everybody that's the same around the table, you're all going to be talking about the same thing and patting each other's backs and how are you progressing? How are you moving forward? So I think it's about breaking that down because um, I don't know why, but some people still don't seem to realize that actually diversity is really, really good for business. You know, mm-hmm. it's been proven within research as well that having, you know, more gender diversity on your uh, in your company and at the senior levels increases to uh, 25% profitability and also having greater ethnic diversity increases profitability by over 36% as well. So, you know, diversity is good for business and people need to understand that and realise that.
0: Yeah, because I was looking at the the Annenberg Inclusion Initiatives Annual Report, uh, which focuses on the the Billboard Hot 100. And and one of the, I thought the interesting statistics there was uh, back in 2012, 38.4%. Uh, artists of colour, but Grammy nominees You're in 2020, that's 59%. So that's clearly good for business. So, yeah, why isn't that reflected elsewhere in sort of, you know, you know, behind the mic, so to speak? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's what I'm saying. It's just, you know, uh, I think it's uh, there's been a lot of exploitation and the whole music industry has been built off of black music and there's not having that representation, not having, um, you know, black music executives at the top making those decisions being those gatekeepers um it doesn't even make any any sense so it's really important and you know a lot of the organizations i was talking to when i was asking about what's your member makeup you know who's your reach within your organizations and that's not diverse um either so the industry has a real diversity issue so again i just think that you know by having diversity within those boardrooms and making those changes at the senior level you're really going to Spark change because representation is so important. You know, that's why I put myself up for chair. I think if, you know, I'm practicing what I preach, I'm saying, well, let me be part of changing that statistic. You know, hopefully there will be another chair um, that's a woman that will step forward because I'm going to be doing another follow up report in July because I think it's again, it's important that we track change and we continue to hold companies accountable um and continue to put these issues to the forefront of their mind. Some people might want to change, some people might need help changing, but some people need that little kick to say, hey we'll, yeah. we'll publish your, your your report. We'll publish your board, so are you going to do anything about it?
0: I think I that sort of transparency is important because they are the facts and you know you, you shouldn't ignore them and, and you should be aware of them. And when they're available to, to all, more people will be able to identify with what the reality is and and hopefully become part of that change. And and I think you're absolutely right by putting yourself up as chair as it was so well publicized, you know, aimed at did a great job of of making sure that everybody knew about it. And I just, I just think that for so many women out there to, to want to go and do that themselves, they can see it it, it happens. It's a real thing. It's possible.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of the conversations that I have with women, um, who I'm saying you're eligible for this board, do you want to go for it? Um, are some of the thoughts that I had when I was thinking about should I put myself forward for the chair role? And again, that it perpetuates that um, consensus that I was talking about, about you know women being made to feel that they it's not the right place for them or they're not knowledgeable enough, they're not wise enough, they're not business-minded enough to be around the room and having those conversations. So um, I think there's been research done that shows that you know women tend to just get their head down and just get on with the work and feel that they're going to be recognised and then asked to be onto the boards. You know, a lot of women were waiting to be asked rather than putting themselves forward. So I think that's a big um, statement that I wanted to make was to say, no, do you know what? I need to put myself forward. And if I didn't, um, it would have gone to a man. So again, you know, it's about putting yourself forward and not being afraid of that um, failure or fear of failure and also believing in yourself to know that you can do this why can't you do this and also believing in the value that you're going to add into the role you know I'm not just doing this for um, you know tokenistic reasons or just to tick another box on my report I'm doing this because I want to effect change in this position.
0: Yeah I've, I've, I've heard um, others are, uh, uh, say very similar things about you know how they just don't feel like they are i guess yeah qualified as a sort of rapper for you know putting themselves forward for whether it's a chair position on board or or, or anything else really mm. they just feel like I'm really good you know and, and why why am I not getting promoted why are people getting you know put over the top of me um, it's frustrating you can also talk to a lot of men I certainly yeah. experienced that myself as well you know and, and it, is, it is it is frustrating and, and I can feel and so the anger that you talked about earlier which I thought was interesting because I feel like my Twitter feed has sort of ramped that up a little bit obviously some events recently amplify that um, but without that little bit of anger how you're going to really sort of push this forward you know this agenda so yeah i think it's all very healthy so you, the one other report that we it's worth mentioning because it's all related gender diversity data report that's i guess kind of yeah it's just that it's another way of sort of slicing similar kind of you know look at a specific part of, of the industry right so
1: Definitely, because yeah, you're right, I feel like all the reports I've done have been in different areas, Mm. but there's just so many issues across the industry, you know, whether you work behind the scenes, or whether you work as an executive, or whether you're a female musician, there's a lot of issues, so I wanted to highlight that, because as a manager, I've looked after female artists, and I've noticed quite a few things. So again, I wanted to delve into it because data is like my best friend uh, where it helps me tell that story without me coming to you and saying, oh, females don't get played. I need that data to back it up. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to be taken seriously or I'm going to be seen as, oh, here she comes again, moaning and complaining about things. So um, I looked into, you know, radio and I wanted to see the representation and how many female musicians were played and when they were played. Um, there was a great report that was done by Linda Coogan Byrne on Irish radio, which was really shocking um, and showed that, you know, in their top um, heavy rotation spots, Irish radio was really playing majority male acts, you know, 80%, 95% plus. Wow. So I called, reached out to her because I was like, you know, this is another amazing woman that's standing up and putting herself out there. Again, you know, she works as a radio plugger. Um, so, you know, she's again jeopardizing her contacts and her career to really speak up for women in the industry. So I said, you know, can we collaborate and do this in the UK because I think it's just as bad over here. And I remember her saying, oh, are you sure? You know, we're really really like different in Ireland. It's really bad. And I said, no, no, no. I think we're pretty similar in the UK. So we kind of got together and started analysing the UK radio stations. And she was really shocked to see that it was actually quite similar kind of stark numbers over here as well. Um, So we continued from her Irish radio report. We analysed 31... Um, of the biggest UK radio stations and looked at their heavy rotation slots and what they played over the period of a year. And I also added in um, an additional data research looking at the top 100 most played songs on radio over the period of a year. And I wanted to break that down to see how many female artists were in that, how many songwriters and how many producers. Um, And, you know, out of the top 100, men feature on 81% of all records. So this has been also tracked by the Official Charts Company um, and it's kind of uh, been called the collaboration age, you know, where female solo acts are actually declining um, over the years, uh, where female musicians are having to be featured on male songs or duet with men in order to have success in the charts. Um, So, you know, men featuring on 81% of all records kind of backs that up. Um, in terms of songwriters, there's only 19% of female songwriters credited and only 2.7% um, of producers within the top 100 as well. And those figures um, I felt were really stark, but I felt it was really important. It backed up what I felt, that there was less opportunities for female musicians in conversations that I've had with different people at radio, um, playlist playlisters or programmers or... People at streaming platforms, they have openly said to me that women don't test well on their platform. Female musicians don't do well. Female musicians get skipped more. Um, You know, it doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. that's the reason why they can't support maybe something that I'm pitching or just a generalized statements about women and female musicians. So I wanted to look at why... We are losing women in the industry. You know, we only have 18.4 percent of female musicians or writers, composers signed up to PRS. Um, and you know, when you go back to research that's done, looking at colleges and unis, there is nearly over 50 percent of uh, women or girls studying music or wanting to get into the industry. So you know, we're losing women in the industry, and I do feel a part of, a big part of that is that they're not able to earn enough, they're not able to create income, which is why I think that radio was really important to look at. You know, there's been some other data from PRS that said that the top ten female songwriters in 2019, they earned 70% less than the top ten male songwriters, which is just insane. Uh, you know, I've been working with PRS uh to help also highlight their board and also attract more women to the board, but there's certain eligibility criteria and, you know, a lot of women don't qualify. And, you know, if, if the top 10 women are earning 70 percent less than than the men, um, you know, this is re- this is the reality of what's going on in the industry. Why is that the case? And again, it's it's not about pointing fingers. It's about saying this is what's going on. Why is this happening? I don't know the answers. Can we talk about it? Do, can we address it? Can You know, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse mm-hmm. if, if we don't do something about it. You know, women are being penalised and we just lose them in the industry, whether they are musicians or whether they work behind the scenes. You know, a lot of women that I've spoken to leave organisations to go off and set up their own businesses so that they can have flexible working, so that they can have children, so that they can be paid correctly and, you know, advance their careers themselves and take matters into their own hands. So, you know, we have a real issue in the industry with supporting women. We do.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's not a single point of failure. It, it, it's more complex than that. And, and as you say let's just have a conversation about it. Let's try and figure it out. Let's try and work out what the hell's going on. Um, Some of those statistics are just upsetting, aren't they, really, quite frankly?
1: it's it, Yeah, it's crazy, but it just, the more I look into or the more, you know, other research that's done, there's been a great report by Vic Bain as well called Counting mm. the Music Industry. She spent a long time analysing and looking at all the record labels and all the music publishers in 2019. And she found that out of um, their rosters, there's only 20% female artists signed to record labels and only 14% signed to music publishers. So this data goes across the industry. So why is this happening? Why is this the case? And obviously everything leads into everything else. So it has a knock-on effect and... In essence it's a vicious circle and again if you approach one person they go well it's not us so you know we have to push this conversation so somebody has to take accountability or say i want to be part of change
0: yeah and and so let's just very quickly talk about the importance of adding men into this conversation yeah. because i mean you're you're, you're talking about uh, many scenarios where there is a male dominance and therefore you've got to include that element of the problem if you like or the the identification of the the split and and so how ha- have you found that like do, do men find it easy to have this conversation with you or do you find that they just shut you down or they just ignore you or that I mean ha- or is it just a general mix i mean
1: i think i've had some really great support some great support from men in the industry and that gives me hope and that encourages me because i don't want to be just in a silo of just women talking To other women about our issues and not going anywhere. You know, I thought it was really great the point that you made about um, the report being so easy to understand and just being able to take from that to say, is this okay to you? Does this look okay to you? If not, then, yeah, we need to to talk about this. And, you know... Take some of the
0: emotion out of it or some of the personalization out of it. exactly.
1: Exactly. I was just about to say that. I just, you know, it's not... I'm not coming at you trying to be angry. I'm not coming at you to try and have a moan. I'm just wanting to have a conversation. Does this look right to you? What do you think is going on? You know, I don't know the answers. I want to get... Um, men's opinions and I think it's so important that men are involved in this conversation and um can play a part in, you know, being part of this change. A lot of things come down to unconscious bias. You know, a lot of things have happened to me in my career where I've been ignored or felt invisible. You know, I've been in a dressing room one one point and a huge artist has come in and greeted every single person in the room except me, because he just automatically assumed I must be nobody in the room. I must be there just to be a groupie or an assistant. So it's about you know, breaking those things down and, and just saying, OK, well, I want to be a part of change as as a man and I want to understand what's going on and I see that there's a problem. And I think that the data maybe can help a lot of men see, like you said, black and white and say, OK, that doesn't look right to me. Why is this? What's going on? And what can we do to, to change? So having male allies in the industry is so important to change because it was really interesting. I think um, I heard a radio interview the other week and the DJ um, presenter asked um, the lady who was being interviewed for International Women's Day how um, did they feel that they were asking for you know uh, more equality within the charts what about the men that were going to lose that income or were going to lose that position yeah so I thought that was just like a really strange take on it but I was like you know again I'm open to having I would love to have a debate with him and just talk to him about it and be like what do you mean
0: (laughs) Yeah, what an interesting twist on that.
1: <laughs> he said it about three times. Yeah, he really? said, what about the men? That, you know, that, that you're going to be taking away their top oh slots. You're going to be taking away their plays. So you want equality. So what about the men? That's
0: fascinating. I mean, that, that is what a fascinating thought process to sort of come up with that. But, um, okay. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get your chance to have it out with him at some point. Um, good. Okay. Well, we're, we're coming up on time, uh, so thank you very much. But um, so I thought i would just be good to just end on both some uh, some ladies that you'd like to give a shout out to, uh, and also some tips for any anyone coming into the industry. You know, how how should they conduct themselves and and help themselves, and you know, and you know, where can they where can they go and get support from? Well, obviously, Women in Control, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, just some people that you might want to talk about.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to shout out some women in the industry who I think are really inspiring to me. You know, my first ever woman in control was um, Afria Henry-Fontaine. And she um, now is the marketing director at Motown Records. And she was my first ever woman in control that I shouted out. You know, I've seen her. Rise and grow up and um through her career. And I've worked with her as well. And I think she's an incredible powerhouse. She's also one of the founding members of the Black Music Coalition. And um yeah, she's incredible. Wow. So you know, it's my first ever woman in control, so she always holds a special place for for me. Um also, I would like to shout out um laughter as well, who's a female musician. And you know, I think what's really great about her is during lockdown, um she decided to teach herself um, how to mix. How to master, how to record, and she's just started producing as well for other artists. And she's taught herself those, you know, those skills herself by just building her own home studio. So I really love her resilience um, within that. I think you know I want to shout out Vic Bain. Yeah. I could go on. <laughs> I'll just yeah, no, going. but no, it's just, I, just you know,
0: th- I guess this is my platform and a chance for you to to use it. So yeah, I was just yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there, there's so many uh, amazing. I've had uh, Harriet, your friend Harriet J.W. Oh, one yeah. before as well. So yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I want to shout out Vic Bain for her incredible research counting the music industry, and she's also the founder of the F List, which is a directory oh, yeah. of female musicians. Uh, you know, a lot of festival bookers have said the excuse, the the old excuse of, oh, I can't find any female musicians. So she solved the problem by making a directory that's open and available to nice. people. So yeah, she's great. I would also like to shout out Laura baker because yeah. you know Laura has been a huge advocate and a huge supportive companion to me at my early stages of starting up women control you know we really um our thoughts are, are aligned and she's really really passionate about um issues in the industry and making a change so um, i'd like to passionate. shout out her just i could go on and on there's just incredible incredible women and what's really great about um the women in control community there's just so many women there from they're just starting out in the industry to really senior CEO levels. And it's just really supportive and open environment to really encourage women to shout out about themselves and kind of, you know, get put themselves out there to kind of grow them themselves in their careers
0: yeah no it's good i, I you know I'd, uh, as part of the preparation to this, I do all sorts of uh, you know searches on different things and I think I'll type the word diversity into the music business worldwide search uh, and you know it's amazing all the sort of you know job roles that were you know that have come up recently that have been announced that it's women uh, in these great senior positions um yeah. wh- whether it is you know ad- addressing you know equality across different you know sectors but it's encouraging it's encu- yes. i mean, I'm encouraged there is now awareness <laughs> and therefore change can occur.
1: Yeah. Cash oh. out some couple more women? Yes. Oh cool. <laughs> Sorry. As like, many as you there's like. So many that have been inspiring to me. Um Paulette Long, who, you know, is deputy chair of the UK Music Diversity Task Force. She's been incredibly um supportive and you know, she's been in the industry for over thirty years and she's done incredible work in making change and you know, she's a black woman that's been sitting on boards by herself for many many years Michelle Escoffery um, again she was one of the uh, five black women that um, hold a board seat she's now been elected to be the writer president of PRS for music and um, she's absolutely incredible I speak to her quite a lot and I love the work that she's doing as well um, so yeah I just wanted to jump in with yeah, those few no, names that's as brilliant.
0: well yeah thank you so much this is great wonderful thank, thank you for doing this I mean it's been really really interesting and I hope that i um i've been trying to address my own uh diversity problem on my listenership and i and i realized that it it, had gone too male heavy and so i've had a, a a run of some incredible women on the show in the last few episodes and i've already seen the change and, wow, and, and so, you know, and, and I, I spoke about I do these, uh, these sort of six month updates just to sort of tell people about running a podcast as a sort of part of the education thing, I guess. And it was one of the things I said, right, I'm going to try and address this. And mm-hmm. I think one of the ways of doing it is probably to have more, more women on the show. Definitely. It's not rocket science, is it? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on. Uh, So, uh, to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter and Instagram handle is at Alex Branson. Or head to the website, www.abcmusic.co, and you'll find a contacts page there. Thank you very much.